0: Welcome to EdCast, a podcast brought to you by the Education Policy Center at American Institutes for Research. Through EdCast, we bring researchers and practitioners together to discuss some of our nation's biggest educational challenges. On this episode, experts Catherine Barber and Kirsten LaFlock share their insights on the research to practice connection in school improvement.
1: Hi, my name is Kirsten LaFlock. I'm a managing researcher with the American Institutes for Research and I'm Katherine Barber and I'm a managing turnaround consultant at American
0: Institutes for Research.
1: And we are going to talk to you today about how teachers and leaders work together to support school improvement. And Kirsten, let's start
0: from the top today. So you have been studying schools that have been undergoing the school improvement process and leadership. So what have your research findings shown
1: you is the connection between leaders and school improvement? So I think one of the really consistent findings um, from studies of school improvement is that the leader or the school principal is really, really critical to that process. There are actually no cases of schools that turned around a history of low performance who did not have a strong leader in place. And there are studies that have looked at the relationship between strong leaders and student outcomes, and there really is a measurable effect of strong leaders on um, student achievement, and that's actually even more pronounced in high-poverty schools. So I think the role of the principal is really critically important and I think there's a few ways in which some of the characteristics of principals that we see in these schools and one of these is principals who are strategic leaders, that is principals who are actually able to identify performance problems in the school, identify solutions and sort of map out a vision of change for the school. And so Catherine, is that consistent with what you've seen in your experience in these low performing schools?
0: We're right uh, right on the same spot there, Kirsten, with your research. What we found in our experiences working in the field is that these schools that have been identified as chronically low-performing or persistently low-performing really require the efforts of a strong leader. And what we've seen where principals have come in and been effective in improving the student achievement at these schools is that they have the ability to quickly diagnose the problems at the school. What are the root causes of the low performance at the school? They've also been able to identify and share out to build commitment and support a vision for the change process that needs to take place at the school and part of this vision is really being able to share a theory of action. How are all of the school improvement initiatives that are outlined in the school improvement plan all going to work together to help improve student achievement at the school and it also paints a picture of what is the teachers role in those improvement efforts what's the parents role in those improvement efforts and then what's the students role in those improvement efforts so everyone is is clearly aware of um, the plan what your role is what the expectations are and then in turn how are we going to get there so Kristen I also know that you've been working on a national study of school turnaround and I was interested to know if what we've seen in the field, um, looking at strong leaders, concurs with the findings that you have found from that research.
1: Yeah, I think what we found is is really consistent with what you've been saying. So I think you've identified principals who have the skill to identify a theory of change. In some of our research, we found that it's it's important, but there are actually a lot of principals who don't have this capacity. So in um, one of the studies that we did, we went to 25 low-performing schools that were trying to turn around a history of low performance. And in these schools, Of these 25 schools, 12 of the principals didn't articulate a theory of change at all. That is, they had no strategic vision for their school, and five of them said that they were not even a key player in the improvement process. So this seems counterintuitive that you'd think the principal is really leading the school improvement process, but in some cases, they really felt like that was the district that was driving the change process, and they didn't have sort of the autonomy or the the authority that they needed to drive the change process. And in some other cases, they felt like they were just putting out fires, which I'm sure is something that you see, that they're just in kind of like survival mode. And we actually found that in these, in these 25 schools, the schools that did have a strategic leader, which was actually a minority of them, but these schools were the ones that had more reports of improvement. And over the course of the study, the schools that did not have strategic leaders were the ones that stagnated or went into decline at the end of the study.
0: Well, that concurs with what we've been finding too, as we've been working out in the field Uh, coaching and supporting principals who have been assigned to turn around these schools. And what we've been leaning heavily into our coaching work with is looking at coaching the turnaround leader competencies Mm -hmm. of these principals. And so public impact has identified four competency areas that are necessary for principals who are leading a school turnaround uh, to be successful in. And a competency is a way of doing, thinking, and acting. So the competencies that successful turnaround leaders demonstrate are driving for results, influencing others, personal effectiveness, and problem solving. And So when we think about the leaders that are assigned to lead these uh, turnaround schools, it's critically important that they drive for results that everybody knows that student increasing student achievement, improving the outcomes for students is critically important, and that there are milestones and targets along the way so that everybody stays focused on implementing the school improvement efforts at the school. These turnaround leaders who demonstrate a competency in influencing others also recognize that they can't do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they know that in order to get the initiatives to move into a sustainable phase, they need to be able to distribute the leadership among many in the school. And that may look like establishing a school leadership team or an instructional leadership team where they are cultivating the teacher leader opportunities inside the building. They also know that teachers stay in buildings when they have opportunities for teacher leadership. So, this really um, influencing others, establishing a school leadership team, hits across a couple components of school improvement, uh, building the capacity of the teachers, and then also distributing that, that leadership across many shoulders. The turnaround leader competency uh, research has also clearly shown us that there are the two primary drivers for principals are driving for results and influencing others. So you think about that. That
1: is increasing the student achievement and then distributing that, that leadership. So we've talked about some of the things that, some competencies we know principals need, some characteristics of principals who are strong leaders and can support the school change process. And we know that the research really supports the role of the principal. So one thing I've been thinking about is, how do we have policy put in place policy that supports getting the leaders we need into these schools? Because we know under the previous federal policy, the school improvement grants, they just mandated that schools needed to put a new principal. And we know that that didn't always work out for lots of reasons. Sometimes you might have a really isolated rural district, and they don't have the pool of human capital they need to get the principal into that school. So the research may point us in one direction, but getting the policy, especially at the federal level, is really tricky. But maybe at the district level there's more, there are more promising practices. So, so Catherine, do you have you identified or learned from any of the districts that you're familiar with? Like, what are some of the things they can do to pull in the, the strong principles they need to put in their lowest performing schools? Kirsten,
0: you're exactly right. When we looked at the research on district hiring practices, mm-hmm. and there's not very much of it, but there is some that, that has emerged. We saw that districts were not doing a very rigorous process of hiring principals. And that means from the recruitment process to the interviewing process to the actually matching them to a mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. And what we saw is that most districts spend very little money and time on that recruitment and interviewing process. And so you think about this as a huge investment. And we know that every time we a principal leaves, it costs the districts to go back out and recruit another principal, but we also know that there's a toll in student achievement. And so that that constant leadership churn at the school leads to decreased student achievement and or that flat line that student achievement just never is able to, to increase. Yeah. So one thing that we've done with districts is help them to look at their job descriptions. If you want a principal who is a, a strong leader for a turnaround school, then you need to advertise for that kind of person. Mm-hmm. So we've seen that the job descriptions and the job don't quite match up, so you're not actually getting the pool of, of people to come in to apply for the job. The second thing that we've been working a lot with districts on is the interview process. So we've really have pushed on interviewing for turnaround leader competencies. Mm-hmm. So we want to find a leader who demonstrates emerging competencies to be a turnaround leader or who, who demonstrates a great strength in those, in those areas. Because we know that that match creates a higher probability that that leader is going to come into that school and be successful in leading that, those school improvement processes. So the other piece that we've spent a lot of time working with districts on is thinking about the support that they provide to the principal once the principal is placed in the building and we are we are really working with districts to think about a differentiated supervisory approach and thinking about your turnaround leader needs a different type of supervision and support than other principals in schools that are maintaining or sustaining their, their student achievement and so we want to think about a balance between support Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: accountability. Mm -hmm. So in many districts, we've seen principals come in in July, get the keys to the school, and then they are checked on by the district in June, and everybody hopes everything went really well. And then in some districts, we've seen where the principal is held to a very compliance-oriented type of supervision. Mm -hmm and they have very little decision-making uh, authority and so we like to strike a balance and have conversations around what does it look like in your district to show support for this turnaround principal, and also have certainly have a level of accountability not only for that principal, but accountability for that supervisor it's a shared right. accountability between right. the two
1: so so i heard you talking about two really important things i think to building capacity among leaders, school leaders. First is the district needs to get in the right candidates and be careful about hiring. So making sure you get the right people in. And the second is supporting those individuals as professionals while they're in the school. So I think we could apply those same principles to teachers as well, right? Like, so it's equally important for schools to get the right teachers in and to support teachers as professionals through professional development as they're in the school.
0: And so, Kirsten, I know that you've spent a lot of time looking at the research for teacher professional development. We know that there are millions and millions of dollars spent every year on teacher professional development. And we also know from our experiences in the field that teacher development has not been strategic, connected back to teacher effectiveness data, or connected back to the school improvement plan.
1: Right. So what does effective teacher professional development look like? So that's, that's a tricky question. AIR has actually done a lot of research on professional development, and it's it's very tricky to actually measure effects on student learning that are associated with professional development. But on the other hand, if we look at studies of school turnaround, one of the key features in all of those schools is that they do support teachers' learning over time. So I think we're still trying to figure out exactly what works, but the research does point us in a few promising directions. So first, one of the things that is a characteristic of professional development the teachers report as positive is active learning so that they're engaged as learners it's not just like someone standing at the front of classroom talking at them another important feature is that the professional development is linked with other school improvement activities that it's a coherent part of what the school is trying to do and I heard you talking about saying professional development is not strategic and that's exactly the opposite of what it should be it should be part of a coherent whole Two other things I'll mention is collective participation, so it's really good when you have all of the teachers of a given grade level, of a given subject matter who are doing the professional development together, so that if you're a math teacher and you go off and have a great professional learning opportunity, you want to be able to come back to your school and talk about it with your colleagues, and that supports their ongoing learning. And the last is the overall duration. That Just these one-off types of workshops really don't seem to be very effective. And um, some research has identified 50 hours as sort of a threshold of which professional development starts to have an effect. And very little of the professional development that we see is actually at that threshold.
0: Well, it seems like, um, Kirsten, our time for this podcast is just about to, to wrap up. And so for the folks who are listening to this, what are some key takeaways that we can leave uh, everyone with today? So I'll start. Sure. Sure. So my takeaway is that schools can never be any stronger or more effective than the adults who work in them. And I think we've done a good job today of talking
1: about um, getting strong and effective teachers and leaders to work in our lowest performing schools. Sure. And another takeaway is something I heard you talking about, which is how it's really important for districts to actually recruit and interview leaders who have the competencies to be effective leaders in turnaround schools. And then let's
0: think about implement a personalized leadership development and support program. Thinking about differentiating that principal professional development and the principal uh, supervision that the turnaround leaders receive in their district.
1: Yeah, and I think that brings it back to what I might offer as the last takeaway is that there are really two key things that districts and schools can do to support the professionals or the adults in their school is one is to make sure you have the strongest principals and teachers that you can. And the second is to support and build their capacity over time as professionals. Okay, so thanks so much for listening. I'm Kirsten LaFlock. And I'm Catherine Barber. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about setting the stage for school improvement.
0: Thanks, Catherine and Kirsten. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. For more podcast episodes, visit edupolicycenter.org.